Hi friends, welcome to Coffee with Caregivers. I'm your host, Jess Ronnie, also known as Jess Plus The Mess. I'm an author, speaker, and founder of The Lucas Project, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing recognition, resources, and respite to special needs families. I created Coffee with Caregivers as a space to bring awareness to the struggles that families often face, including difficulties related to finances, mental health, and everything else in between. It is my belief that stories can change the world, and through conversations with caregivers, I hope to provide awareness which will lead to compassion and resources. Thanks for joining me today, but first a word from our sponsors. Welcome, Callie. Thank you, Jess. I'm so, so thankful to be here. Well, thank you. It's been a long time since we've chatted. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <a> yesterday. <laughs> I had the pleasure of seeing you yesterday and meeting your precious husband and children, and it, it had been a long time coming, so it was an honor. I agree. You were good for my soul. Um, oh. From one special needs mama to another, uh, yeah. we had a wonderful time. Okay, well, we'll just dive right in here. Um, can you give us a quick glimpse into your life? Uh, what do you do? Where do you live? Who do you live with? All that good stuff. Absolutely. I am blessed to be at a beautiful property in Cold, at Coldstream Christian Camp in Adams, Tennessee. And my husband is the director of operations, and we have three beautiful children. Our oldest, Elijah, is just about to be 14, and our twins are 12. And I am an author and a speaker. That's awesome. Um, and you have some big news coming up here in the next couple of months. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So I was blessed to sign my first contract for my first book with a traditional publisher, and I'm very excited about that. It's a project dear to my heart that I've been working on for quite some time. And so on October 6th of 2020, my first published book comes out. It is a 30-day devotion book entitled, What Does God Want You to Do Before You Die? I am so excited for you. And I had an opportunity to read this book already, and it is amazing. I think everybody will want to get their hands on a copy. Well, you also, ha I had the privilege of having you be um, one of my one of my endorsers. And I so, know. yeah, yeah, I'm so excited. And, you know, when I wrote it, um, this is just such the, the graciousness of God and the wisdom of God. I had no idea that a global pandemic lurked. I had no idea that, um, you know, all of the things that are, that are facing our country right now would be coming around the corner. And I think death is, is on people's minds and mm -hmm. it's a theme that I think will be very encouraging and just, it's really about purpose and finding our purpose and confident and confidently and boldly walking in that. Yeah. And what I love too, is in your book, you give the reader a glimpse into your story, mm -hmm. um, specifically your story as a special needs mom and what that journey looked like for you. Um, can you explain that journey a little bit? When did you find out that uh, special needs was going to be a part of your story? And what was your initial reaction? Absolutely. Twelve years ago in 2007, I was pregnant with twin boys. 
and I delivered them. I'd had a great pregnancy. Everything was going along just perfectly, really, which was a blessing to be pregnant with twins. Uh, But at 30 weeks out of nowhere, my water broke and we were really on the cusp. The doctors talked about in those days that things could either go really good or they could go really bad. Uh, Mm -hmm. given they were 30 weekers. And we really had both scenarios. We had a scenario of things going really pretty well and things going really bad. Uh, Joshua, one of the twins, was in the NICU for about two and a half months, and he had one surgery. Both of the babies initially were uh, diagnosed with oral dysphagia, which is typical with preemies because they, they have an inability to suck and swallow at the same time. And They can easily aspirate as that develops in them. So they both went in for a surgery for a feeding to to place a feeding tube. So Joshua, that was the only surgery he ever had. He came home at two and a half months and we learned to feed him through a feeding tube. It was really a minor operation and a minor special need, Uh, although I don't know that you can really say that because (laughs) special needs is a whole different challenge. And so to say that it's minor, um, I don't want to underscore that at all. Right. Uh, but compared to what we then went through, that that's why I say that. Um, but Isaiah, at eight weeks of age, he developed a deadly illness called necrotizing enterocolitis. Oh, and yes, it really just meant that his intestines just, just, just died. Sections of his intestines were diseased. And it nearly killed him. In fact, the doctor at one point came to us and said, uh, if this is what I think it is, your son has 12 to 24 hours to live. His bowels had perforated. So long story short, that illness resulted in multiple complications, multiple surgeries, multiple bowel resections. Isaiah was never really able to... to just recover from that. Uh, He had had a particular episode where he had coded and went 17 times that evening and had to be resuscitated. Um, Just a lot of different things that we thought was going to result and were told by the doctors that that would result in um, brain damage because he'd went more than 20 minutes without oxygen to his brain. Oh, wow. But... Um, during all of this time, all during that particular episode, they, they did CPR. They, he had six broken ribs. Isaiah just kept having setback after setback after setback. And at seven months of age, it's still in the NICU at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, our son went into liver failure. And unfortunately, the very drug that was supposed to keep him alive Uh, which was uh, an intravenous drug called TPN. It's total Mm -hmm. parental nutrition. And he was on TPN and lipids because his gut was so um, diseased and just, he just struggled to heal from all these surgeries. He was 100% TPN and lipid dependent. And so the very drug that saved his life ended up almost killing him. Uh, He went into liver failure that was induced by the TPN And I'll never forget that day. The doctor said, there's nothing more we can do, Callie. Babies don't recover from this. You need to get anyone. Yeah, you need to get anyone that you want ever to see him and and say goodbye. 
And that was a Wednesday night, and I went to church that night. So we had a, a baby that we had told was dying in the NICU. We had his twin brother at home with a feeding tube that we were trying to navigate that, and we had a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. So those were just crazy days for sure. Um, and, and I was desperate. I went to church that Wednesday night, and I came home from church, and my husband was standing on the porch, and he was smiling. And I hadn't seen him smile in, in months. And he had gotten an email from a nurse practitioner that was there at Vanderbilt Children's. And she said, off the record, if you tell anyone I told you about this, I'll lose my entire medical career. But I know of an experimental drug and the clinical trials, um, not FDA approved, but 87 of the 89 babies that has completely reversed their liver cholestasis. And wow. reverse their liver failure. And so we just knew that was God's way of escape for us. And we were willing to go anywhere and try anything. So Isaiah was lifelighted to Boston and he stayed there for another four months. And he spent 324 consecutive days in two hospitals. And by God's grace, he did, his his liver did heal and the liver failure did reverse. And uh, after 13 surgeries, and after nearly one year, he spent his first night at home from the hospital when he was just short of 11 months old. You know, I marvel because I could have gotten pregnant and had a whole nother baby in the time that my right. son was in the hospital. I just got chills. I can't even imagine what that first night at home was like. Um, how did that look for your family when he was in Boston for four months? You know, we were ships passing in the night, my husband and I, mm-hmm. and we had just become accustomed to that lifestyle. And it was very difficult because you just are in a state of existence, really. You're pr- you can't process all of that. You're just on autopilot. And it was very, so, yeah, it was, sorry. it was very hard because I so longed to mother my other children that were at, you know, a thousand miles away having to be taken care of by family that wasn't me. So there were just a lot of components to it that were, that were very difficult. And, and, and yes, that first night was very, it was amazing, but I will be honest with you. It was scary because as much as we long to be home, Isaiah came home with a central line, a feeding tube, a home health, you know, they took care, you know, we've got to get a home right. health nurse. We've got to get you into feeding therapies, physical therapies, occupational therapies. He was extremely high needs and not at all out of the woods, but his care mm-hmm. had gotten to the point that he no longer needed the treatment from Boston. And we, it was something we could handle here at Vanderbilt. And he also came home with an illness that he still has today called short gut syndrome. And what that means is his so many, so many segments of his intestines have been cut out that it has left him with this disease called short gut syndrome. And little by little, Isaiah began to get better. Um, But it was, he was, he was and is only capable of diarrhea to this day at 12 years of age. Um, Just his gut is so very short that he has a really hard time absorbing the vitamins and minerals and nutrients from his food that, you know, and staying hydrated was always an issue. But those, those were crazy, crazy days. I remember feeling similar after Luke came home from the hospital after 
two weeks of being a neonatal when he was first born. Um, and the whole world cheered like there was a big victory. And there was a big victory because Luke was coming home. But I did not sleep for months after that because he had so many needs as well that you just lay there beside their beds and like watch them and pray that they make it through mm-hmm. another night and that somehow you can get a nap the next day because you're so exhausted all the time. Oh, absolutely, Jess. That was the fee- that was the feeling. And I think that one of the misconceptions and one of the things I struggled with is many of the people around me sort of, like you said, there were cheers, there were celebrations, he's home, you know, let's leave them alone and let them finally have their time together as a family. But that Mm -hmm. is actually when my real battle began is when he came home. I totally get that because then you don't sleep anymore. At least when they're in the hospital, you know that there's a night shift nurse watching them all Mm -hmm. night. And if something happens, they're going to take care of it. Mm -hmm. But at home, if something happens, that's on you. And then you have to get up the next day and take care of not only two babies, but also a two-year-old and a husband, you know, there's a whole family unit there that's completely disrupted by this. Yes. Um, And we had to be, I did it. Yes. Well, I don't know about you. Well, I'm sure you would have had the same situation. I'm sure we had to be trained on how to care for him. So you're there, Mm -hmm. there's a tremendous level of fear that goes into that of, okay, changing out their IV ports is a sterile thing. You've got to make sure you've got your your hands are washed and you put on your gloves properly and you, and you don't put any, you've got to get all the air out of the syringe and you, you know, and if his, and if his, if his um, central line comes unclamped, he could bleed out in a matter of seconds. I mean, you were, it didn't stop. In other words, you just, you were always on edge, always just, oh, I don't want to mess something up. I don't want to do something wrong. And yes, I'm glad he's home, but I'm terrified that he's home. Right. And for everybody listening, don't leave us alone when those babies come home. Oh, (laughs) please don't. Keep bringing the meals and come and check on us because we're probably not doing real well. Um, Yeah, I totally hear that. Um, So the boys are now 12. Yes. Um, How or do these needs still affect your daily life or their daily lives? Or how does that look? Yeah, you know, that's a great, great point. Because many people look at me now, and they, they sort of, they remember those days. And they the yes, those were intense trying days, um, to say the least. And things have improved dramatically, Jess. And for that, I'm grateful. There are, I still unequivocally refer to myself as a special needs mama. I will always be. And I always have such a hunger and a thirst for uh, special needs mamas because I think it is an area. And so first, before I answer that, I want to I want to thank you, Jess, for what you do. I want to thank you for being vulnerable and transparent and real. I love how real you are. Um, You're going to have to be crying here. (laughs) I love the Lucas Project because special needs mamas are forgotten, Jess, and you're determined not to forget them. And it is an honor and a privilege to be hooked up with you and hooked up with the Lucas Project because our special needs mamas desperately need help. And there's guilt and there's shame because of how we feel. And we struggle to reach mm-hmm. out and raise our hand and say, I need help. Uh, and in those days, Jess, I wish 
that I had known a Lucas project. I wish that I had known a Jess Ronnie. I wish that I'd had a place like this where I could reach out. But but my days are are different now than those days. My son, most people on the outside would look and not really know that he has a special need. On the out on the exterior, he seems well. Right. When when my son raises his shirt, you 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 know, when we go swimming, a lot of times people go, Whoa, what happened? You know, because they don't see that. But what how how short gut syndrome presents for my son today is very different than it was. He still is only capable of diarrhea. And so we have to, long trips are a challenge. We have to always make sure that he is, uh, that a bathroom is accessible no matter where we go because he can control his bowels now, which is a blessing because for many, many, many years he could not. If we went on a trip, we would have to take little porta potties and uh, he, many, many, many accidents. Uh, but but thank God he's able to control that now, um, mm-hmm. and so he we constantly check his uh, hydration levels. He gets dehydrated extremely easily, and so we are constantly staying on top of that. We do see GI through Vanderbilt Children's, and we check his levels, his vitamins and minerals and nutrient levels constantly because with Isaiah, what comes in comes out. Um, and you know, it's interesting, Jess, that's more from the physical perspective. Well, let me, let me speak to this too. One of the things that we always have to be on guard of is strictures forming in his intestines. And many of your listeners will know what that is, especially if their baby or child has had intestinal surgeries, but a stricture is where from so many operations and so many bowel resections that scar tissue can form and it can adhere and cause obstructions in his bowels. And so we are constantly uh, on guard for that. If his belly swells, if he, if he ever says the word constipated, we're in serious trouble. Um, Okay. That's a big flag that something's going on. Absolutely. Um, And also one thing there had been a particular Code Blue episode where Isaiah uh, coded and he went over 20 minutes without oxygen to his brain. His doctor and the nurses came to us, tears flowing down their eyes. Your son will be brain damaged. There's no way, of, there's just no other option. He went far too long. And so you have to remember too, when he came home, much like your situation, we thought that was forever. You know, we thought this is, this is how life will be. And so there wasn't that release. It was just this, this is life and this is how it's going to be. Um, and you know, I, I have no other explanation, um, but that, you know, somehow God just preserved Isaiah for a a purpose. But as he began getting older, excuse me, Jess, as he began getting older, he just began doing a lot of the things that they said he would not do. Uh, he was very delayed in all of it. He had a, he had his feeding right. tube for many years, and he wasn't able to walk for quite a while, and he didn't talk for quite a while, and we were in all these different therapies. But he was eventually able to really have a very normal life. Um, and and I say that normal. I don't I don't know. 
it's our normal, it's his normal, and that ha- that is our normal. One of the other tremendous things that Isaiah struggles with, and I would love to, I can't wait to hear your podcasts from all the people that you interview to see if, if <laughs> to see if other moms. There's been about three oh, so far. Okay. That's so. great. This is, I, I pray that will be so many more, Jess, and this will help so many mamas. Um, but I'm interested to hear if, if other moms deal with this, because even though Isaiah was a baby, he has a tremendous amount of fears and anxieties and they're almost irrational at times. For example, elevators, he is terrified of elevators. And of course I know about white coat syndrome where our children who have been so inundated with hospitals and doctors, they can have a fear of that. And there is, it's unequivocal. My son has it. And you would think that because Mm -hmm. he was a baby, these things he wouldn't remember, but there are a lot of anxieties that my son deals with. And, and I have no doubt it's the result from all that he's been through. Oh, absolutely. I can speak into that a little bit, just having um, so much experience as being a caregiver with my late husband, Jason, and then Lucas as well. I have a little bit of fear in medical environments. Um, A lot of that PTSD returns. So that is absolutely understood. Um, Is there something you wish other people either understood about your situation or about a caregiver's situation in general. Oh, wow. Oh, yes, Jess. And and I would speak, to, I think it applies to both. Because while my days look different than they did the first five and seven years of my twins' life, I wish people understood the level of trauma and mental pain that is tied to this. It, it, it's very hard to talk about and it there's a lot of shame connected to this and you feel so isolated i think our caregivers whether that's moms or grandparents or uh, just someone a loved one or friend or you know even someone hired coming in to care for our 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 those those needs but there is mm-hmm. there is a lot of especially the moms, you know, that have went through it. Um, But there's just a lot of trauma and they, they're trying to process how life suddenly was so vastly different from what they expected. And I just wish that, I wish there were more resources for them. I wish there were more people who would come alongside them. I think people don't know what to say. So, so, so many times they say nothing. And I often think of the scripture where we are instructed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And, oh, Jess, I just wish that there had been people, more people who would have just sat down and put their arm around me and just wept with me. And there, there's nothing they could say. There's nothing they could do. We, it's not going to change the situation in the moment. But sometimes just to acknowledge that you're hurting. And, and in a way that is so very deep. Um, mm-hmm. We've lost a lot of that community 
in our day and age. You know, we don't gather around these women when they come home anymore. Um, like they used to even a hundred years ago, you know, the, the women in the community, the grandmothers, the aunts would gather around and help. And especially I think when you're arriving home with a child with special needs, um, there's some guilt attached. Uh, I like to call it the miracle baby mm-hmm. syndrome. Um, oftentimes like my Luke was never supposed to make it. And then he was born, uh, praise the Lord. But then there's like guilt attached to saying, you know, this is really hard. I'm really thankful he's alive, but this mm-hmm. is really hard and I'm not doing very well. <laughs> so we don't ever say those words. We just suffer in oh, silence. Yes, that is so true. When you talked about PTSD, I had three different doctors diagnose me with PTSD in those days. And I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. That's something that, you know, I still to this day can go in hospitals and see chairs and see fabrics and smell, smell hand soaps that trigger Mm -hmm. it. And I'm in an instant in a state of just panic in some ways. Um, But I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. It's having, a neurotypical baby is challenging and difficult. And then, yeah, you throw on all of those additional needs and it's, um, it's absolutely overwhelming. And I think we need to start to see these moms in our communities and understand that they are really struggling and reach out in any way. And yes. Try to you help know, you them. spoke about the miracle baby syndrome. That is so very true because I remember feeling that I remember feeling like, wow, this is my miracle child. And I so thankful that he's alive and so thankful that he's home. And to be as honest as I know how to be, Jess, there were also moments in my dark days and in the most painful moments where I was trying to process the trauma and trying to deal with a special need and trying to deal with the disappointment that this is not the way it was supposed to be. That sometimes so heartbreakingly, sadly, and I hate to admit this, but I think that healing comes when we are honest with what we're feeling But Jess, I would feel like my son represented the pain. You know, my son, even though, yes, he's this miracle baby and I love him, he reminded me of the pain. I know that sounds crazy, but. It doesn't. No, I totally understand that he brought the pain into your life. And then the guilt of that. I'm supposed to love you and nurture you and care for you. But right now, when when I am elbow deep in diarrhea, and this is the 21st diarrhea mm-hmm. diaper that I have changed today, and the smell of it has driven me to a point of rage and anger that I didn't even know existed, what do I do with that? You know? Because mothers are not supposed right. to feel that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And nobody sees that because you don't want to right. go there because like I said, it's this miracle baby and praise Jesus. My baby lived. So I can't speak about all these difficulties attached to raising this child. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jess. And, and where do you go in that moment? <clears throat> you know, I have often special needs has been an area that I have longed to be an advocate for and to 
um, to, to share my story and to help these mamas. And I remember at one point I went to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital and I signed up to help mamas and do everything that I could. And there was a part of the form that talked about religion and how in order to help, you had to be unwilling to speak of religion because it was such a diverse community and that just was not acceptable. And I thought, I can't do that. There is no way I could speak to my story and not speak of religion because um, for me, that's where healing came. For me, that's where wholeness came. And so um, it, it has been hard for me to try to find outlets where I can, you know, be free to remind these mamas that they're not in this alone. Mm -hmm. And I've only seen the tide shift a little bit, I'd say, even in the past year where special needs moms are starting to peel back mm -hmm. the curtain a little bit and allow the world to see inside their realities and allow the world to see some of the difficulties. And I think, you know, conversations like this and more podcasts and more articles and more of everything where moms start to speak the truth and speak honestly and vulnerably, um, we'll start mm -hmm. to see some change, God willing, hopefully. Um, I'm going to transition a little bit. I'm a huge believer in self-care, especially as a special needs mom. I believe that we need to take those moments in order to be the best we can for our children and for our families. Um, how do you incorporate this into your life or do you incorporate it into your you life? Know, this is a, a tough uh, a tough topic for me because I, I did not, Jess, in those dark, dark days, uh, in those very heavy uh, days, I did not. In fact, my pride and my fear held me from doing that. Um, I, I speak in my story in, uh, about a time when I had been given a prescription during this PTSD diagnosis from three different doctors three different medications had been prescribed by all three different doctors. And Jess, I just remember laying them in my drawer at night and I would open my drawer and I would look at them and I would slam my drawer shut because to me that, that represented defeat, you know, somehow in my mind, I was supposed to muscle through this and have enough faith to not be able to need that. So I say that just to give you a glimpse of the level of stubbornness most people who know me would say I have. But it was also just chaotic. And and that would have been the, you know, the, I needed that and, and it was okay. But I did not, I did not see that in those times. And I wish that I could go back and and do the self-care and raise my hand and say, I need help. And so, so having gone through that today, you know, my self-care, honestly, Jess, there, it can come in many different forms for many different people. But as an author, I love words. I love books. I devour God's word. I love to dig deep in scripture and study and just spend intimate time with the Lord. And so every morning I get up and that's what I do. And that is the best self-care that I can possibly have because 
there in that moment with my Abba Father, he's my he's my counselor, and he is my advocate. He is my peace. He is my joy. He sets my heart right when it is not right. And so that's just from a spiritual perspective, that has been the, it's been a habit of mine for the last nine years. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so sure. three final questions I would like to ask every guest of mine. Um, how has being a caregiver changed you? Oh, wow. Very, very easy, very quick answer comes to my heart, Jess. It exposed me. It exposed oh, so me <laughs> in in the mm-hmm. ways that I am ashamed to admit, in ways that I didn't know existed. God used being a caregiver to expose the true condition of my heart and to show me how desperately I need Jesus Christ. And if you had one hour all to yourself, how would you spend it? Honestly, just like I said in the mornings, I love words and I love silence because in the silence, in the stillness, I can hear God's voice. And one word from heaven, one manna that has come down can soothe my heart in a way nothing and no one can. And last but not least, this is Coffee with Caregivers. So how many cups of coffee are you drinking these days? I have two. Two's my limit every day. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) You must be very type A like me, like two cups of coffee. That's what I'm allowed to have. You know, there are aspects of my life where I'm that. But yes, two is my limit. And, you know, it coffee to me, and since this is, coffee conversations coffee to me is an experience it's not just about I drank my coffee and I checked it off my list I will make my coffee in the moments of my day now some people want it they want it right away in the morning but I'm someone who I want it when I can be quiet and be still because holding my mug, the mug is very special to me. The warmth of the coffee on my hands is very special to me. The soothe of it just slipping down my throat. It's the silliest thing, but I love it all. (laughs) You're painting this whole picture for me. I think you need to write a book about it. That's what we do, right, Jess? (laughs) I love it. Um, that's fantastic. And I agree. I love the whole soothing, but I need it to like spike my soul first thing when I wake up. <laughs> I need it to go straight to my heart and wake me up. Well, this has been such a pleasure. Um, I would love to have you back someday. And where can people well, find you right thank now? Thank you, Jess. It was a pleasure. The pleasure was truly mine. I appreciate you just hearing my heart and allowing me to be a guest and a part of what you're doing for these, these mamas and these caregivers. And so they can reach me if they want to connect at CallieDaruk.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-E-D-A-R-U-K.com. And I am on Facebook and that's really where I'm most, um, active. I I would say it's a lot to keep all these social Mm -hmm. media platforms up, but I love, I love ministry. I love going deep with people and I love hearing their hearts and sharing my heart with them in hopes that um, we can help each other heal. 
and give us the title of your book one last yes, time. Yes, it is. What does God want you to do before you die? And it is available for pre-order on Amazon.com even now. All right. So you heard it first here. Everybody go <laughs> pre-order that book. And um, yeah, again, thank you so much for doing this. And I'm thankful for your friendship in, in real life and thankful that you were willing to do oh, this. Thank you, Jess. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening today. If you want to know more about The Lucas Project, find us at thelucasproject.org. If you want to know more about my story, head to justplusthemess.com, and while there, subscribe to my monthly newsletter, or maybe check out my memoir, Sunlight Burning at Midnight. In the meantime, please hit subscribe and maybe leave a quick review. These are so important in the podcast world as they help us gain traction and recognition which translates into helping more caregivers. And until our next conversation, let's do what we do best. Just keep living.